The word justice appears over 116 times in the Old Testament, and we don't have time to go over all of its varied meanings and usage in, in its various contexts. And so, as I said, we'll try to focus primarily on the wisdom of justice as it is reflected in Proverbs. But let's start by asking the question, what is justice? What do you think of when you hear that word Justice. We hear the word used a lot these days and it may bring forth different ideas. What do you think of when you hear that word? Well, let me give an illustration. When our four boys were young, we had a symbol of justice in our home. It resided in the kitchen. It was in the shape of a, a spoon. And when it was brought out, it had the potential to result in much weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I brought one here for us this morning as a reminder. It's an ice cream scoop. I know what some of you were thinking. We often think about justice primarily in terms of punishment for wrongdoing. And that's, that's an element of justice. But have you ever doled out ice cream to a bunch of, of toddlers? It can bring much joy as they revel in, in a special treat, but it can also result in problems. He got more than I did. I want the last bit of chocolate. That's not fair. Why can't I have more? Sometimes we, we think of justice in terms of getting our fair share and being equitable, and, and that's also a part of it. You probably heard justice defined in terms of getting what one deserves, and that can be both both negative, but also positive. Whether, whether what we call retributive justice, where, where, which can be deserving of some type of punishment for wrongdoing, like a, a child losing the privilege of ice cream for some act of disobedience, or a, or a criminal serving time for some crime committed. Or remunerative justice, some deserving of a reward for doing something good, like, like getting an A on your test for, for studying and working hard, or, or a raise at your job for a work well done. Or restorative justice, deserving, deserving payment for some wrong or injustice suffered, like compensation you might receive for an injury caused by another. These are examples of various elements of justice, and all are, are reflected to some degree in the divine justice of the Bible. But regardless, we all have an innate sense of what justice is, especially when we find ourselves at the receiving end of some injustice. And justice in the Bible and justice in God's economy is closely connected with righteousness. Indeed, the two terms are frequently paired together and at times are used interchangeably. We see that in the opening verses of Proverbs where one purpose of the book is to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness and justice and equity, as it says in chapter 1, verse 3. And again in chapter 2, verse 9, where, where knowing the fear of the Lord and listening to his wisdom results in understanding righteousness and justice and equity, every good path to walk upon. Without question in the book of Proverbs, we'll see that a life of wisdom is a righteous life. Righteousness is a dominant theme and the contrast between the righteous and the wicked occurs over a hundred times in the 31 chapters of Proverbs. 
And while not always mentioned, the righteousness to which we are called includes justice or acting justly. And I think too often we can, we can think of these terms as belonging to, to kind of different realms of life. Righteousness being more about personal moral purity and, and, and religious piety, while justice being more about, about public social welfare or judicial fairness. And we see this played out in our politics, don't we? With those on the right being accused of only caring about personal righteousness and responsibility and those on the left accused of only caring about public justice and social equity. But the Bible knits the two together so closely that, that one writer said they're almost like Siamese twins, not easily separated. And the two Hebrew words, tzedek, which means righteousness or most often translated righteousness, also translated just in some cases, and mishpat, which is translated justice, are found in tandem throughout the books of the Old Testament. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of God's throne, the psalmist tells us in Psalm 89. God loves righteousness and justice. He executes righteousness and justice for his people, Psalm 99.4. He works righteousness and justice for the oppressed and the needy. He will redeem Zion by justice and righteousness, it says in Isaiah 1.27. The throne of David which Isaiah speaks of coming through the birth of a, a child that is born to us, the throne of David will be upheld in justice and righteousness and the promised Messiah who will sit upon it will be one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. And so both of these, these concepts are rooted in the very character, the very nature of God who is perfectly right and righteous and holy and is also perfectly just in how he lives out and exercises that righteousness and that holiness. And both refer to the way things ought to be in the world that God created. They speak of right relationships and right living before God as well as before other human beings who are created in his image and both speak of the way that God's truth and his character are to be exhibited and to be expressed in our lives and to the world. We see this in the chapter we read, 21 verse 3, which says, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Now this comes on the heels of, of verses speaking of the king's heart and the, and the heart of man, that central place of our, our being from which our actions flow and, and our words speak. And while what we do may seem right or just often in our own eyes, it says God truly knows, he weighs the heart, he sees what's going on inside. And what is more pleasing and desirable and acceptable to God than, than offering up a sacrifice to atone for our, our unrighteousness and our injustice, which, by the way, is a good thing. But what's even better is a heart that positively and proactively pursues and does righteousness and justice. A life that is shaped and driven by living as God created and designed us to live. 
And so the life of wisdom, this, this blessed life and beautiful life that, that Christ as the wisdom of God calls us to find in him, calls us to come and, and feast upon in him, invites us to enter into through him is necessarily a life that displays and pursues God's righteousness and his justice. Wisdom cries in chapter 8, verse 15. By me, kings rule and reign, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold. I walk in the ways of righteousness in the paths of justice. That's really kind of a description of the way God created us and made us to be. Created us in his image to walk in the ways of righteousness and the paths of justice in this world. To know and experience true peace. The shalom of God, which is not just the absence of, of conflict, but which is the, the flourishing of goodness and, and, the, and the growth of godliness in his world, perfect harmony and wholeness, health and prosperity, the right order and flourishing of life is how God created the world and created us to be. But when man disregarded the fatherly wisdom of his creator, and when he sought to take authority and control and direction for his life according to his own wisdom, suddenly that shalom, that harmony and peace, the truth and health and flourishing and rightness of relationships with God and with one another, suddenly the whole apple cart of God's creation was upset and overturned. And the injustice of man's rebellion against his creator, against the one who had all given all things to him, alienated him from God and began to cause division and shame and envy and blame and corruption and violence that has plagued the heart of every man and woman since creation. And that has plagued the institutions of every man and, and, and leader in our, uh, our government in our country ever since, in our world ever since. And thus we live in a world that is fundamentally unjust. Things are not as God created them to be. The fabric of his divine justice has been rent apart and it continues to unravel in ways that are evident to us every day, both in the world around us and, if we're honest, in our own hearts and in our own lives. So this, this call to do justice is a call to seek to, to restore things to the way they should be. It's a bringing, bringing things back into line into the, with the standard, restoring the, the fabric of God's created order to the beauty and the, and the wholeness for which it was made. And in Proverbs, to do justice is primarily concerned with how we treat others. And in particular, others who are in need, those who are, are less fortunate or more, more vulnerable than us, those over whom we may have influence or ability to make a difference. For instance, there is divine responsibility on the part of rulers and governments to establish 
justice. It is by God's wisdom that kings and rulers decree what is just. God is sovereign over nations and kings. The king's heart is like a stream in God's hand and God ordains rulers for the purpose of leading and guiding people in the ways that are right and are just. Proverbs 29.4 says, by justice, a king builds up the land, but he who exacts gifts tears it down. Just rulers and just governments serve the people and create an environment where people can live in peace and society can, can flourish. Corrupt leaders serve their own power and needs and ultimately cause chaos and conflict. Now, we don't have to look very far to find firsthand examples of that. Just government can only happen when leaders with power and authority recognize that they serve a greater power, a greater authority than themselves, namely the Lord God who created all things. And that's why only when a nation is, is truly united under God, as our pledge says, can there be any hope for liberty and justice for all. But we know both from the history of God's people as well as from our own experience and the, the history of the world that even the best human governments and leaders err and fail and injustice occurs. And brothers and sisters, that's why we need Jesus. God sent his son, the king of kings, the prince of peace, as Isaiah said, he laid the government upon his shoulders and at the increase of his rule and reign, there will be no end. And he will establish it with justice and righteousness from now to eternity. Jesus came into this unjust world proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in his his righteous life and his sacrificial death for his people, the, the redemptive, the restorative justice of God is ushered in in a powerful, life-transforming way. And when he returns, he will bring with him the retributive justice for all the wrongs and evil and wickedness that have been done. And so Jesus comes to, to begin to re-knit the fabric and restore the shalom of God's creation as it was intended to be. And so even as we live under, under human authorities that still may be unjust, we are called to live as citizens of a different kingdom and to live as, as ambassadors of our King Jesus to pursue and to work for justice in our communities, and even among our leaders. You know, we have the privilege of being able to elect those who govern us here in our country, a privilege that is not to be taken for granted. And as believers, we should be involved in the process. We should seek to put in place those who will submit to God's authority, who will lead by what is right and just according to that, to his wisdom for all people, not just for particular groups. But at the same time, we have to trust the Lord to bring justice in his time and his way, even when human authorities and societies fail to do so. Proverbs 29, 26 says, many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that man gets justice. 
Friends, there is great hope, great hope for those who long for and who seek justice. And it's not found ultimately in politicians or parties or policies, but it's found in Christ Jesus who rules justly and will bring righteous judgment for all nations. But justice is not just the, the, the province of leaders. Wisdom calls us to live justly in our own everyday lives and relationship. And what that looks like primarily as it's given to us in the wisdom of Proverbs, is a life of integrity and a life of generosity. A life of integrity and a life of generosity. Or we might say a life of truth and grace. Truth and grace. And we see this idea of of integrity or, or honesty or truthfulness reflected in Proverbs 11 verse 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. And we might read that and think, well, this is just about doing business. And that's primarily the, the focus here. But the picture here is of a merchant, perhaps someone, perhaps someone selling grain in the market. And when, and when someone comes and, and orders three pounds of wheat, he, he goes over and he pulls out his three-pound stone and he sets it on this side of the balance. And then he, he gets the wheat and he puts the bag up there and he starts filling it until that balance is perfectly weighed out. And then the person purchasing it knows I've got three pounds of wheat. But what about the merchant who, who sees the, the poor widow or the young boy coming to purchase wheat for his parents? And he knows that, that they're probably not gonna know the difference and understand all the ins and outs. And so rather than pulling out that three pound weight, he pulls out the, the two and a half pound weight. Or he pulls out a three-pound weight that's been hollowed out and, and, and is lighter and he sets it on the scales. And then he pours it out and he gives the person what he says is three pounds of wheat, but which is actually less. He knowingly is selling a smaller amount of wheat, taking advantage of the opportunity to boost his profits. And that's what, that's what Proverbs is talking about when it talks about a, a false balance that kind of in, unjust, injustice is, is an abomination to the Lord. I heard the story of a, a car dealer who, who having trained his salesmen and giving them freedom to negotiate with customers on prices. We've all bought cars. We all know how that goes. You go in there, you start haggling over various things and, and you know that if you press hard enough, some, some, something's gonna come off the price likely. But this car dealer had given that, that kind of gone about with that same process, but he began to realize that typically it was the more wealthy, the more educated, the more business savvy customers who, the, who were the ones who, who haggled the price down the most. <laughs> they were the ones who, who were, were kind of uh, uh, bold enough and, and, and skilled enough in this art of negotiation. And what was happening was it was, it was typically older women or poorer clients who were not skilled necessarily in the art of negotiation or perhaps intimidated by even entering into that, that were paying much higher prices for the vehicles on his lot. Now, there's nothing illegal about that. There's nothing that was necessarily wrong from a, from a legal standpoint in doing that, but the dealer realized that this, this practice was biased against the more vulnerable segment of the population. And so he moved to set a sticker price policy that made the vehicles the same price for everyone. 
In his heart, he wanted it to be a just balance, so to speak, in those negotiations. So justice in business particularly means dealing uprightly or honestly in our work. It's not just not overcharging for things, but it's also paying a fair price or wages or services rendered. It means not conveniently withholding information that might threaten a deal or not taking advantage of someone for your own profit. Proverbs 17:23 says, "The wicked accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the way of justice." But integrity and, and truthfulness is not only just in business dealings. It impacts all of our life and relationships, doesn't it? I mean, Kids, when you split that cookie with your brother or sister and you notice that one half is bigger than the other or when, when dad puts out the pizza slices on plates and you see that the biggest one is on the other side of the table from you, what do you do? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Well, if you're like me, it's like, how am I gonna get that bigger piece? How can I manipulate things or, or work this so that the bigger piece comes to me? And you know, that's just how the world works. And that's unfortunately how our hearts also work. The wisdom of the world is constantly saying, look out for number one, take care of yourself. But justice pursues honesty and equity and it goes out of its way to see that others are taken care of as well, that they get what's due to them. Here in chapter 21, verse six, We read, the getting of treasures by a lying tongue is fleeting vapor and a snare of death. The righteous one, that is God, observes the house of the wicked and throws the wicked down to ruin. Nothing is hidden from God. And and to be deceptive and dishonest or to disadvantage others to gain our own advantage is an abomination to him. To do justice is to pursue integrity, pursue truth, pursue honesty, pursue uprightness in all our dealings, whether it's with our children, whether it's with our family members, our community, our classmates, those at work, to seek to do justice and righteousness. But just being truthful and equitable is not all there is to living justly. Justice involves generosity, it involves being gracious, and involves advocating, particularly for the needs of those who are are impacted by the the broken justice of a fallen world. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27 and 28 says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow and I will give it when you have it with you. There is in God's divine justice all throughout the scriptures a particular concern for the needs of the poor, the widow, the fatherless, the foreigner. We see it over and over and over again. This is how God identifies himself when he speaks of his justice. Deuteronomy 10, 17, for the Lord your God is the God of gods. He is the Lord of lords. He is the great, the mighty, the awesome God who is not partial, who takes no bribes, who executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, who loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. In the Psalms, we read, blessed is he who, whose help is in the God of Jacob, who executes justice 
for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord watches over sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, Psalm 146, 5 through 9. The prophets are repeatedly calling God's people to administer true justice by showing mercy and compassion for the poor, for the widow, for the orphan, for the stranger. These, these categories in the ancient world were, were those who often, for reasons beyond their control, find themselves without basic support, basic needs to live. And in, in many people's eyes, including the religious, they were often considered to be out of favor with God. Justice was often seen as, as the privilege of, the, of, of those who, who were blessed and had wealth and power and so forth. And, and, and the, gods were, the, the foreign gods were often associated with that level of the elite. And God comes around and turns that all upside down. And he said, my justice is for the least of these. Now, as we'll see later in our study, there are many reasons people end up in poverty or in need that result from unwise living and their own bad choices. Pursuing get-rich-quick schemes, laziness, excessive borrowing, immoral lifestyles. But that is not always the case. Proverbs 13.23 says, The fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. Some are poor or needy because of the injustice of others or even the institutions and systems that make it difficult to escape this cycle of need. But regardless, God does not put conditions on which of the poor or which widows or which of the fatherless or strangers should be shown compassion and mercy. Because all are created in his image, all are deserving of a measure of dignity, provision, and compassion, and care. And Proverbs 14.31 says, He who oppresses the poor insults his maker, but one who is generous to the needy honors him. God created rich and poor alike. There's nothing in one that makes him more acceptable to God or a greater object of his love than the other. But God's heart resonates particularly with those who are the lowest in the eyes of the world, who have suffered perhaps greatest at the hands of injustice, which is why when he comes among us, he doesn't come as a prince in a magnificent palace, but as a baby who is laid in a feeding trough. He comes when his, when his parents come to present him at the temple to be circumcised, they can only afford the offering of two pigeons that was prescribed for the poorest to offer who could not afford a lamb. He grew up as a carpenter's son in a backwoods town of Nazareth in Galilee, never had a place to call home, and his ministry was characterized by ministering to the sick, to the suffering, to the poor, to the widowed, to the sinner who was marginalized by society. When Jesus began his ministry, as we saw in Luke chapter 4, he did so by reading in his home synagogue from the prophet Isaiah where God's servant, the promised Messiah, his, his anointed one who would come and rule over his people in righteousness and justice, where his rule is described. And it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That that is God's heart. That is Jesus' life and ministry. He exuded the justice of God in coming to redeem and restore the havoc that is wreaked by sin and injustice in this world. And Jesus quite literally identified with the poor, but not just the materially poor, but with those who are poor in spirit. He came to redeem those who who recognize not just the, the injustice of others against them or the injustice of the world around them, but who see and understand the injustice of their own rebellious hearts against God and against others. And he, as one who is perfectly righteous and just, comes down and he bears the injustice of mankind in his own body, being despised and rejected, reviled and assaulted, having his clothes stripped off of him, beaten and mocked in public, tried on on trumped up charges and sentenced to death as an innocent man. And he did it for you and for me. That we might not get what we deserve. The justice of God for our sin. Jesus satisfies God's justice for us that we might be justified. That we might be set right with God. Forgiven and free. And in his resurrection he empowers us as his ambassadors to take his righteousness, to take his justice into the world, living for him in truthful integrity and gracious generosity, loving like him those whom the the world deems unlovable, leading to him those whom he is calling from the poor, materially and spiritually, the captive to man and to sin, the blind and lame in body and in spirit, the oppressed either by society or by our greatest enemy, Satan. And friends, only when we understand, only when we know the amazing grace of God, who fulfilled God's justice for us by taking what we deserve for our sin upon himself and giving us what we don't deserve, mercy and forgiveness and life, only then can we do what God calls us to do, what God desires most of us, to do justice to love mercy, to walk humbly with him as it says on the front of your bulletin from prophet Micah. Jesus came as the one who is both just and as our justifier. And in doing so, he's brought us to God. He's given us a heart filled with righteousness and justice. And he calls us to do righteousness and justice to others. The last verse of our passage today, verse 15 in chapter 21 of Proverbs says, When justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but terror to the evildoers. Friends, there is joy in God's justice for those who will receive his righteousness, his mercy in the one who is both just and justifier, Jesus Christ. And when we know his righteousness, when we've experienced his his justice, then we can experience the joy of seeking and doing that in our own lives. And so Proverbs at the end of the book in verse 31 says, open your mouths for the mute, for the rights of those who are destitute. Open your mouths, judge righteously, 
Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Jesus said that his followers who feed the hungry, who care for the sick, who visit the prisoners, do those things as unto him. You see, brothers and sisters, Jesus is not primarily concerned about the politics of righteousness and justice. He's not. He is concerned with God's righteousness and justice lived out personally in our lives, in the lives of his people as we engage with and serve others in the community and the world with the truth and grace of the gospel, both in word and in deed. Righteousness and justice will never be achieved through legislation, through activism, through demonstrations, though those may be tools that we can use to advocate for them, But justice is found only in the freedom and the forgiveness that is bought by Jesus Christ's death on the cross and by his empowering spirit of righteousness and justice given to us to enable us to know the grace of God and to live rightly and justly with God and with our fellow man. And I think this quote from Tim Keller's book, Generous Justice, captures how grace changes our hearts to pursue the joy of justice. And I read it kind of as a challenge to us. He says, my experience as a pastor has been that those who are middle class in spirit tend to be indifferent to the poor. But people who come to grasp the gospel of grace and become spiritually poor find their hearts gravitating towards those in need. To the degree that the gospel shapes your self-image, you will identify with those in need. You will see their tattered clothes and you will think, as we sang earlier, all my filthy rags, all my righteousness is a filthy rag, but in Christ we can be clothed in his robes of righteousness. When you come upon those who are economically poor, you will not say to them, pull yourself up by your bootstraps because you certainly didn't do that spiritually. And Jesus intervened for you. And you cannot say I won't help you because you have got yourself into this mess since God came to earth, moved into your spiritually poor neighborhood, as it were, and helped you. Even though your spiritual problems were your own fault. In other words, when Christians who understand the gospel see a poor person or a person in need, they realize that they are looking in a mirror. Their hearts must go out to him or her without an ounce of superiority or indifference, end quote. There is more to doing justice than just ministering to and advocating for the poor and for those in need, but there is certainly not less than that. We often say if you want to see where your heart is, look at your checkbook, and that can be true. How do you spend your money? But I would add... Look at your attitude towards the poor, towards the marginalized, towards the outcast or the ignored of society. Is your heart hard or indifferent or judgmental? Or is God drawing you into relationships and into involvement with those in need? How can we continue to grow in our our living out God's righteousness and his justice with our coworkers, with our family, with our neighbors, with our friends at school. 
Brothers and sisters, let's challenge ourselves here in our own community such that ambassador will be known for doing justice, for being ambassadors of the king who are, who are living for him and loving like him and leading others to him in righteousness and justice by showing mercy and grace as Jesus did to us. Let's pray together. Father, we live in a time and in a culture and even in our own hearts where we have taken those things that are innate and endemic to your character and your nature, the way you've created the world, and we have turned them into objects by which we can argue our case, defend our rights, pursue our agendas, politicize our issues. Forgive us, God. Righteousness and justice are dear to you because you embodied them in your son, Jesus Christ, and you became poor that we might become rich. You bore injustice that we might know freedom and mercy. You laid down your life, disadvantaged yourself that we might have life and have it abundantly. Oh God, one day we will stand at the bar of justice and it's only because of the righteousness of Christ that we will have any plea. But we also long to stand there and hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant, for as you did to the least of these, you did unto me. And so Lord, wherever we are, Humble us. Help us to humble ourselves before you. Open our eyes to see in this, this community that you have blessed with such wealth and prosperity and, and life and joy and pleasure. Help us to see those who are hurting. Those who are in need. Those who are struggling. Both materially as well as spiritually. And Lord, let us go as your ambassadors to proclaim the good news of release and of freedom and of healing and of health, to invite them into a life in a community like ours where that joy is experienced. And Father, if there are those here this morning who do not know your grace and mercy, but still stand under your judgment for their sin, I pray, Father, that you would draw them to yourself even now to see the righteous one who is just and justifier and that they might cast themselves upon your mercy and receive your grace. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.